And so today, we're gonna, we are working our way through a series titled The Beauty of Faith, and we are exploring how beauty or how faith causes us to show up in the world. And it causes us to show up in beautiful ways. And so this week, I was out reading of this theologian and philosopher. His name is Dallas Willard. And he gives just some really good definitions to these. It just gives you some good clarity. He defines a beauty in this way. He says, a beauty is God's goodness made manifest to the senses. And I was like, man, that is so helpful to think about beauty. Beauty is God's goodness made manifest. We're able to observe it, right? Made manifest to the senses. And so what that means for us is that when Christians show up in the world in faith, the result should be that the people all around us see God's goodness in us. So what should happen is uh, the people around us say, hey, I can't see God, but I see his beauty. I see his goodness in the way that you live. So that's my hope. James is trying to get us there. And so we're going to read James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. So let's do this. Let's stand together out of reverence to God's word as I read it. So James 3, chapter 13 through 18. Here it is. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not a wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of good mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And this is the word of God. You may be seated. So let's take a moment. Let's pray. Uh, and let's dive in. Let's pray together. Father, Help us to hear your word today as a word directly from you to us. Help us not to sit beneath your word and, and to figure out, a way to, uh, figure out a way to get from underneath it and to think, oh, that doesn't apply to me. Help us not to make excuses today to not obey your word. Help us not to sit in this sermon thinking that this is a word for somebody else. But God, help us to hear it. Help us to respond to it in faith and obedience. We need you to do what only you can do today. We need for you to save. We need for you to grant wisdom. We need it. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen, amen. amen. Y'all, so, so listen, y'all, I, I, was, uh, I was so frustrated. I was so frustrated. Uh, one of the reasons why is because I had just moved. First of all, I hate moving. We all do. And I don't know if you know this, but to rent in Arlington, Virginia, often feels like you are resigned to move every single year, right? Uh, and honestly, I want to shout out many of you in Arlington uh, who have helped us move every single time we move. Like my family, before we uh, recently purchased our place, we moved like six times in seven years. And some of y'all were on the other side of the dresser every single time. And so I appreciate you guys. That's real love. I want to tell you guys, if you're wondering about how to determine if people love you, what you need to do is send out a mass text and say that you're moving on Saturday, right? And the people that show up, those are the people that love you because nobody likes moving, right? Nobody likes moving. I don't like moving. And I don't just like moving I don't like dislike moving just because of the boxes and the pack and that, that, that. I don't really care about them. 
I don't like moving because all of the stuff that you got to update as a result of your move. Yeah, I got an amen there, right? Nobody enjoys moving. And so here's the thing, man. On this particular frustrating day, I'm going to take you back. I'm just trying to get home. I'm just trying to get home. I don't know how to get um, home to, from, uh, from where I am. And so I open up my phone, right? I open up maps. I hit the little icon that, that has the house on it that says home. And I'm just driving. I'm about my, uh, about, about my merry way, eager to get home. It's dark outside. And I realized something when I get five minutes away from what the map says is my destination. Y'all, I was so frustrated. The GPS said that I was five minutes from home, but in that moment, I realized I was much farther away from home. Why is that? I had never updated home in, uh, on maps in my phone. So instead of being five minutes from home, I was actually 35 minutes from home. It was taking me to my old address rather than my new one. In other words, the guidance system that was leading me in that moment was calibrated to my past rather than my present. The reason why I'm going, so the reason why I said that is because James is writing to a people who are having a similar experience. These are people who um, have experienced persecution. Uh, they were dispersed, and then they are gathered together. These people um, who have been sent away from home because of persecution, they're gathered together as the people of God. All of these people would claim that, hey, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I worship him. He's been good to me. And yet this community, this community of faith, they seem to navigate their day-to-day life, even though they claim to worship Jesus. They seem to navigate their day-to-day life in a way in which they are navigating their lives that it doesn't match up with this new reality that they claim to live in. And this church is demonstrating something that we all need to know, that it is, it is possible for you to be in a community that confesses the lordship of Jesus Christ and refuse to receive the wisdom of Jesus Christ. It's quite possible for you to exist in a community that claim the lordship of Jesus Christ and you refuse to navigate your life according to the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Y'all, you can worship Jesus and receive your wisdom from another source. And when the church does this, let me tell you this. We end up looking like the world around us and it kills the witness of the church. And so if you want to think about wisdom, you can think about wisdom in this way. Wisdom is the guided system of your life. Wisdom is the art of navigating life skillfully. That's what it is. Because here's the thing, y'all. There's so many questions that you have in life right now. I know. I've talked to many of you. You're wondering, man, where should I work? Or should I change careers? Who should I date? How should I raise my kids? What kind of house should I buy? And where should I buy it? Who do I allow to speak into my life? There's so many questions, and there's so many questions that we need answers to that there aren't chapter and verse in the Bible for it. Like, for instance, when I decided to marry my wife, um, the Bible didn't say, there wasn't a verse when I opened the Bible, and it wasn't a verse that said, boy, stop playing and marry Janique. There was no verse. <laughs> there was no verse that said that, right? That wasn't there. But the, because this is why, answers to most of life's questions aren't going to be chapter and verse. It's going to require wisdom. And listen, for many believers, you might worship Jesus, but the guidance system of your life, if you're not careful, can be calibrated not to the way of Jesus, but to the way of this world. So NBC Arlington, the question that I want us to consider this morning is this. It's the God that you worship the source of your wisdom. It's the God that you worship 
the source of your wisdom. And I hear this this morning. The wisdom that comes from the God of the universe, hear me this morning, it's there for you. It is yours for the taking. Many of us walk in the Christian life, and we think that God is hiding his wisdom from us. We think that, yo, I got to jump through hoops to figure out God's wisdom. I got to do all this stuff to pull God's arm to give me just a, a breadcrumb of, of, of what he wants me to do. But, but that's not who God is. The Bible describes God in many places like a shepherd. He's not trying to hide his will for you. He's not playing keep away with his will. And the question we need to answer before we are able to receive his will is this. Are we willing to receive it? Are we willing to be led by God? And so this passage actually helps us see two kinds of wisdom. And I pray that it will help you determine what wisdom, has, what kind of wisdom has formed the navigational system right now, of your life right now where you sit. And so let's walk through this text together. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. It says this. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have been bitter, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And so right here, James is simply asking a question. He's saying, listen, who are the wise people among you? Who are the people who have learned to navigate life skillfully among you? And how do you know that? So we'll come back to verse 13 a little later on, but I want us to start in verse 14 because in verse 14, he zeroes in on a kind of person who can't say that they've received wisdom from God. So I want us to acknowledge that first. So he says in verse 14, he says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So here's the thing. This is helpful for you to determine what wisdom forms the navigational system of your life, what guides your decision-making. And here it is. He's saying something important. You know what wisdom guides your life by the force behind it. I'll say it again. You are able to know where the wisdom that, that you're using in your life is from only when you look at the motivational force that drives the pursuit of that wisdom. And so here he's saying this. He's saying you cannot claim to possess the wisdom that God gives if you have a heart motivated by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. If you have a heart motivated, if all of your decisions are motivated by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, you can't claim to be operating in your life according to the wisdom of God. But here's the issue. The only way that our world motivates us is through bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Like, think about those two things. Bitter jealousy, and some of your versions, if you got NIV, it says envy, similar things. These are all hearts that are consumed with anger and pity because somebody else has what you desperately want. And so it's a heart that sees the success of other people, and instead of being happy for them, you are in despair that they have it. You see people that have the looks that you do, or the job that you want, or the personality that you really want, or the relationships, or the esteem, or the marriage, or the life that you want, and you can't stand it, and you can't stand them either. That's bitter jealousy. And it calls it bitter because this jealousy, this regard for yourself, it colors all the rest of your relationships too. Bitter jealousy, a heart, a heart grabbed by that. And it also says selfish ambition. Interesting thing about the term selfish ambition is that that is the only place in which that term is used in the whole New Testament. That term is actually a term that Aristotle used 
And it's a term in which Aristotle uh, uh, um, used it um, to um, describe uh, political partisanship. And I love that Aristotle used that term to describe political, political partisanship because we know all about that in D.C., right? Like, we just went through a political cycle. I was watching the TV with my wife. I was watching a television show. Commercials came on, and it was six commercials back to back to back to back. And every single commercial was trying to say, my, if my, if my component, uh, opponent enters the office, the worst days of America are ahead. So vote for me, <laughs> right? And we see in D.C. that this mentality of politicians being willing to say whatever they got to say, do whatever they got to do so that you will vote for them. And I love that picture. Um, and I get it. Yo, politicians, man, you got you to distance yourself from your opponent. I get all that. But here's the thing. That kind of mentality has no place in the body of Jesus Christ. Like, there's no competition in us. There's no putting e- e- each other down. And so when you think about those two things, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition have as their aim the elevation of the self at all costs. That's the heart behind it. So when you think about people who have a heart consumed by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, every decision that they make is run through a decision-making calculus, a decision-making matrix, and that decision-making matrix sounds like me, 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 me. How can I elevate myself? How can I glorify myself? How can I get more than what I currently have? And what the scriptures are trying to tell us is that this is counterfeit wisdom. This is no way to navigate your life. So I'm going to give you a definition real quick. Counterfeit wisdom is the art of skillfully navigating life for the benefit of yourself. Counterfeit wisdom is the art of skillfully navigating life for the benefit of yourself. Eric, are you telling me that, listen, I should never think about myself when I make a decision? I'm not saying that. But for most of us, we only think about ourselves. We only think about ourselves. So my question is this. Is this how you navigate life? Is your first thought whenever you make a decision, how does this benefit me? Look at verse 15. It describes this wisdom, and it says, this is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, spiritual, and demonic. I want you to catch something. In that verse, it actually describes this, the, 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 this navigational system in, uh, of, of someone's life. It actually describes it as wisdom. It calls it wisdom. It's not the wisdom that comes from above them. And this helps us actually see something. Hear me out. If wisdom is the art of skillfully navigating life, hear this. You can skillfully navigate, in life, you can, you can skillfully navigate life with a self-serving heart. Y'all, it's, it's, it's a, when you skillfully navigate life only trying to serve yourself, it seems wise until you zoom out a bit. So I, I'm going to give you an example. Y'all have heard, heard of the term of uh, peaking in high school, right? Some of y'all don't want to laugh because you're like, yeah, that's me. Honestly, that's, it's kind of me. I, I did kind of peak in high school, right? But we all know these people. You might be this person, so no shade, Right? These were people who were in high school that they were well-liked by their friends. They were well-liked by the teachers. Everybody wanted to be like them, right? Seemed like they got all the dates, and you wanted to be like them too. And all you wanted to do was sit down with them and say, man, how are you navigating high school like this? Like, I want to be like you, right? What's your secret? You're in high school thinking, man, I want the life that you have, right? But here's the issue that you didn't know at the time when you were in high school with them. They did not take into account life beyond high school. So these are people who skillfully navigated high school, but 
They probably didn't develop good study habits or good work habits. They crushed high school, but they failed to take into account that there was a reality of a workforce or college beyond high school. So they seem wise in the moment until you zoom out a bit and place high school in a larger context. Wisdom, this wisdom is something like that. Hear me. There are so many of us right now who are crushing life. Man, it seems like you're navigating life well. Man, you're killing it. You're CEO because you worked hard. You delayed gratification. Right? You made partner in your law, in your law, form, uh, a law firm because, man, you did everything that you're supposed to do. And you knew who to talk to. You delayed gratification. Everybody around you kind of wants to be like you. You got the house. You got the car. You got the family. You're killing it. But here's the issue. Have you considered there's a reality beyond this life? Yo, you can kill it for 70 years and forfeit everything. There's a kind of wisdom in which you can gain the world and forfeit your soul. There's a kind of wisdom where if you zoom out from the small 70 years that you live your life, from the vantage point of eternity, it's not, a, it's not wisdom, it's foolishness. Listen, a life of counterfeit wisdom is when you skillfully navigate life without God as a reference point. So my question for you is, when you make decisions in your day-to-day life, is that you? Is that what you're doing? This is why James calls this wisdom driven by jealousy and selfish ambition. He calls it earthly, he calls it unspiritual, and he calls it demonic. And all of those terms are related. I want you guys to hang with me. Let's look at them. He says this kind of wisdom that doesn't take into account that there is something beyond this life is earthly. So he's not denigrating creation. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that, listen, when there is no transcendent reality, transcendent reality that factors into your decision making, all of your decisions are just purely pragmatic. What I mean by that is you make all of your decisions just based off of what works. So and, and the here and now. So you're thinking, man, listen, how do I get married now? How do I get the house now? It's living life with practical wisdom that never takes into account how eternity bleeds into your presence and should, and should affect your decision-making today. Not only that, this kind of wisdom is unspiritual. And in calling this wisdom unspiritual, uh, it's similar to earthly, but he's describing decision-making that, is, that, that, takes, that does not take into account the Spirit of God. The only thing it takes into account is your flesh. So the largest piece of your decision-making is, yo, what do I want to do? What are my desires? There's no other goddess point besides that. And then it's demonic. What does that mean? It means this, that we have an enemy that wants you to live just like that. He wants you to live all about you. Here's the thing. We have an enemy in Satan who's content with you not worshiping him as long as you worship yourself. As long as you make everything about you. You, 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 you. Why is that? Look at verse 16. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. You see, James is right into a church where they're experiencing that. There's favoritism in the church, partiality between the rich and the poor. Why is that? Because everybody in the church community is about themselves. And Satan looks at that, he's happy about it. Because when the world peers into the church and they see the same partisanship and rivalry and, 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 um, and discontentment in the life of the church, it's nothing special about it. It doesn't give witness to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you this morning 
There's a different kind of wisdom that is available to you this morning. There's a different kind of wisdom available. Y'all, it is possible for each of us to not navigate life purely based off of self-regard. There's a different way to live for us. Look at verse 13 again. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I love it because this wisdom that God gives us is public. It produces good works. But I love it because while counterfeit wisdom is motivated by exaltation of the self at all costs, wisdom from God produces good works in humility. Let's break, down, let's break that down a bit. Some versions say meekness. Some versions say humility. But just know this. It's a heart motivated not simply by getting ahead of the next person. I love how one person defines meekness. He said it this way. He said, meekness is an attitude or quality of heart whereby a person willingly accepts and submits without resistance to the will and desire of somewhere else. The meek person is not self-willed, not continually concerned with self, his own ways, ideas, and wishes. He is willing to put himself in second place and submit himself to achieve what is good for others. Meekness is the opposite of self-will, self-interest, self-assertiveness. So if counterfeit wisdom is this kind of wisdom in which you're living life for the benefit of yourself, this is what true wisdom is. True wisdom is the art of skillfully navigating life for the glory of God and for the good of others. It's what true wisdom is. And so it's a wisdom in which you're able to make decisions on the day-to-day, and your main concern isn't, how does this make me look good? Your main concern is, how do I get what I want out of this? But you can have a heart that is free to live for the glory of God and for the good of other people. And we see the fruit of this kind of wisdom in verse 17. See, counterfeit wisdom produced disorder in every vile practice. But this verse says that true wisdom produces a community with people like this. I don't know about you. I want this kind of community. Verse 17, it says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I love it. When you are walking in accordance to the wisdom of God, it forms you into this kind of person. And I don't know about you. I want people in my life that are like this. I want people in my life that are pure, meaning this, that when I'm in conversation with them, I'm not worried about ulterior motives. They're pure. What you see is what you get. Man, I want people in my life that are peaceable. Meaning that when I'm in, I'm in relationship with them, I can know that they're not always trying to get one up on me. They're not, they're not concerned with elevating themselves above me. They're concerned with peace between us. I love it. Full of mercy rather than full of jealousy. These are people that when I'm down, they're not trying to kick me because they were jealous of me anyway. They're full of mercy. They want to see me win. I love impartial. In the church community, we said this a couple of weeks ago, impartiality, uh, partiality would kill a church community. Because a church community that's always trying to saddle up to people who seem important, to people that everybody else likes anyway, they are jostling for positions of authority and positions of power, all because you're insecure about yourself. Somebody who's impartial doesn't walk into their church group sizing people up, wondering, hey, are these people worthy of me? 
They're not always talking to someone and looking over that person's shoulder for somebody that is more important. They're impartial. And then they're also sincere. They're not phony. (laughs) They truly care about you. Man, I don't know about you. I want a community like this. And the wisdom of God actually produces, when you walk in it, it produces this kind of character in you. I don't know about you, y'all. I want to... I want to be the kind of person where I'm not worried about myself all the time. Man, you think worrying about yourself will get you the joy? It won't. It will make you miserable. It will make you miserable. Man, a community filled with people who are constantly worried about themselves, you walk into a church gathering like this, and you're thinking, who's going to greet me today? Who's going to love me today? If everybody's thinking that, you know what that's going to produce? Rivalry, anger, dissension, anxiety. So the question you might have is, okay, Eric, how do you get there? You're talking about counterfeit wisdom. You're talking about true wisdom. Man, how, how do I actually, how, how am I able to receive the true wisdom that comes from above? Can I tell you a way that you don't get there? <laughs> Our world is not going to help you get the true wisdom. It's not. Our world, living life in this world, is not going to help you get to true wisdom. Because listen, if counterfeit wisdom is you skillfully navigating life for the benefit of yourself, you know our world, the only thing it has to offer you is yourself. Our world, its advice to you is constantly telling you to follow your heart, be you, do you, be true to yourself, even the communities, that, even the community that the world offers. Like you look at sitcoms with friends, all their friendship does is this, uh, sit around a room with you and you talk about your life and what you're currently doing to follow your heart and y'all just talk about it. <laughs> and then when you look at our world, all it has to offer you is you. And the only relief that our world can give when you pursue yourself and get to the end of that and you're miserable, the only thing that our world can offer you is distraction. So you get to the end of yourself and you're miserable pursuing your life and all our world can offer you is social media and Netflix. Listen, you are not going to get to true wisdom by simply, by, 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 by simply being formed and shaped according to the, imagina- to the imaginary of the world. What we need is a heavenly wisdom. What we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we need. Hear me today. You will only accept the wisdom from above when you receive the foolishness of the gospel. You will only accept the wisdom that comes from above when you accept the foolishness of the gospel. Eric, what are you talking about? You said foolishness of the gospel? What does that mean? Hear this. In the gospel, Jesus came and laid down his life for the world, and the world didn't know how to handle that. It seemed foolish that God would take on flesh and die on a cross. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Y'all, people thought that the cross was foolish. They're thinking, how, why would an all-powerful God use his power not for his own benefit? Why would a powerful God lay down his life? Why would he not use his power to preserve himself? That is foolish. But I love that the foolishness of man is the wisdom of God because Jesus, the son of God, came and laid down his life. He didn't preserve his life. He laid it down. Why? He did that for us. Y'all, we deserve punishment and condemnation for our sin. And Jesus took the punishment that we deserve for himself. He used his power to lay down his life. He died for us. Offering an opportunity for anyone who would trust and believe in him, he offered you an opportunity to be saved, to be forgiven, right where you sit this morning. And I love this. 
Because we worship a Savior. We think about wisdom. We worship a Savior who navigated his life on this earth, not for the benefit of himself, but for the glory of his Father and for the good of those around him. He did it. And when you trust and believe in him, guess what? He's empowered you to do the same as that thing. You may think, how? How does he empower me to do the same as that thing? Y'all, his love frees you from being self-preoccupied. You know, you're walking through life and you're wondering, okay, cool. Like, I have to make decisions for me because nobody else is thinking about me. But what's amazing about the gospel is that the gospel declares that the God of the universe is worried about you. The God of the universe sees you. His eye is on a sparrow. He's watching you. And because you are taking, and because you are taken care of by the God of the universe, whose hands are more capable than your own, you now have the mental and the physical ability to not use your hands simply to care for yourself. You can now, you can now be thankful and live life for the glory of God, and now you are free to live life for the good of other people. This is amazing news. The gospel frees you from selfishness. The gospel frees you from bitter jealousy. You might not have all that you want, but in the gospel, you have, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as Ephesians 1 says. So you don't have to be jealous. Somebody may have something different than you, but guess what? You have all that you need in Christ. The gospel frees you from selfish ambition. Because when, you free, because when you realize that you are free from constant self-regard, because the, God, because the God of the universe is in your corner, he's looking out for you. But let me tell you, here's what I'm not saying. Don't walk out of here saying, Eric is saying, listen, if I make any decision in life that somehow benefits me, then that's not a wise decision. That, that, that's counterfeit wisdom. That, that, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when you are navigating life according to the wisdom of God, you, you, um, um, your decision-making matrix is, uh, uh, or living life solely for your benefit is no longer what drives you anymore. Hear me. The gospel doesn't kill personal ambition. It kills selfish ambition. So you are free to be ambitious, not simply for your own glory. You are free now to be ambitious for the glory of God and for the good of other people because he's got you. This is true wisdom. You are, you are free to navigate life differently. So as we end, y'all, I want to get real practical. So I want to invite you to write down these questions that I'm about to give you. And I want you to think about these questions in the context of your personal life. Because I think these questions are going to help you get to the root and figure out, man, like what wisdom am I using to make decisions in my life, big and small? So here's the first one. It's, it's just a... It's a real question that I want you to consider. Where do you need wisdom in your life right now? Some of us walk around with this vague tension in our chest, and we really have to consider, man, what's the specific place that I need wisdom in right now? And listen, obedience is different than wisdom, right? So obedience is when you see something that you should do, and you just do it, right? It's very clear, right? You do it. Wisdom is this. It's different. It's when you don't know what to do, and God steps in and he guides you. So I want you to consider in your life right now, where do you need wisdom? It's probably areas in which, like, there really isn't a chapter or verse for it, but, like, there are principles in the Bible that we, need to, that we need to use to guide our lives. For you, it might be a career move. It might be, how do I raise my kids in a city like Arlington? Like, it might, I don't know what it is. It might be the pursuit of a relationship. Should I pursue this person, or should I be dating this person? I, I don't know. Where do you need wisdom? Let me give you encouragement. God is willing to give it. He's willing to give it. He's not trying to hide it from you. 
But I do want, I want you to explore another question. I do want you to consider that place where you need wisdom. Consider what are the voices that are informing you as you make a decision. In other words, where, do you, where does your heart go for wisdom? So when you are in tension of needing wisdom and you don't know where to go, where do you typically go? What's informing you? Do you cry out for wisdom? Man, when you're trying to navigate your career or a relationship, y'all, one of the helpful exercises, man, in my own life is this, is to sit down and to write out what voices are informing my thinking as I'm trying to make a decision. Because sometimes we could just think that, oh, you know, I'm a Christian and like whatever decision I make, just because I'm a Christian, it's for the glory of God. But we don't sometimes recognize that the voices in our lives that are calibrating us, not in the way of Jesus, but according to the way of the world. So what tradition of wisdom is informing you? What voice do you hear most loud and clear when you got to make certain decisions? Is it what your parents said? Is it culture? Some of y'all don't even know it, man, but you operated over, over on wisdom that you heard on some television show when you were like 13 years old. You don't even know it. <laughs> is it colleagues that are, that are the voices behind the wisdom? Is it the rich and famous? Or is it really God's word? Is it prayer? Is it the real community of God that's helping you make decisions? Y'all, we need to be a people who are drawing from the wisdom of God rather than from the shallow wisdom in our world today. And I want to be careful here, guys, because here's the thing. I'm not saying that there isn't wisdom in our world. There is wisdom in our world. Like, you can gain wisdom for those who don't follow Jesus, but here's the thing. For many of us, we don't know, we don't know even how to access that. We don't know, even know how to identify that. Y'all, here's the thing. Many of us, hear me, you are being informed by voices that don't sound like Jesus at all. So process that. What are the voices that are, that are informing you as you need wisdom? I'll take it even further. Many of us are trusting voices just because they claim to be Christian. And these voices don't sound anything like Jesus. So here's a warning, man. I ain't no shade to nobody in the room. Y'all, I'm a pastor here. I just got to give you this warning. Here it is. Be careful of getting wisdom just because people worship in the pews right next to you. Y'all, be careful about getting wisdom from people who may be in the pews worshiping Jesus alongside with you, but Jesus never shows up in the other six days of the week. Like, they don't talk about Jesus once they leave here. Y'all go to lunch. Y'all talking about what's on the menu. You ain't talking about the sermon. When they got to make decisions, Jesus never shows up. It's all pragmatic. It's all earthly, unspiritual. It's all about the self. Because here's the issue. If Jesus doesn't show up in their decision-making, what makes you think that when you need advice, their advice it's going to have Jesus in it. It's not. Y'all, who are the wise people in your life? Y'all, I don't mean to go in here, but I, I, I need to help you understand this. The wise people in your life aren't necessarily the successful people in your life. Y'all, we tend to think, man, especially churches are notorious for this. Churches think just because somebody runs a country, uh, runs a uh, business, they can run a church. But yo, when you say that, like, you don't know how they got to the top of their country, uh, to, to the top of their uh, company. They could have been Practicing injustice, you don't know. Just because they make a lot of money doesn't make them wise. You don't know how they got the money. Parents, listen. Just because that parent has Ivy League educated kids doesn't make them necessarily wise. <laughs> because you don't know how that was produced. 
You don't know if those kids grew up in an environment of love, or you don't know if those kids grew up in an environment of harsh perfectionism, driven because the parents simply want to live vicariously through their kids, and their kids are suffering. And you look at them like, give me your wisdom. You don't want that. You don't want it. Y'all, you need wise people in your life. Um, Luke, you, go, you can go ahead and come back up. You need people who are going to encourage you to make decisions based off of the weighty reality of God rather than the pursuit of personal gain. So who are those people in your life? Here's my third question, and this is one that we probably never consider, but I want you to consider it because it's, it's important. What kind of person is your wisdom making you into? Dallas Willard, again, I was reading him this week. He said this line, and I think he's right. He said, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. And that's what you will take into eternity. And so when you walk in the wisdom of God, guess what? It shapes you. It shapes you. So the question you should consider is this, like, what am I being formed into? Because here's the thing. When you make decisions based off of selfish reasons, guess what? In your life... If you keep making decisions like that and you get in that rut when every decision you make is about you, guess what? You increasingly become more and more and more selfish. You increasingly become more and more and more enslaved to bitter jealousy. More and more and more enslaved to selfish ambition. Because all your decisions are about you, 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 you. But listen, when you live in accordance to the wisdom of God, when you show up here and do good deeds in the, in the meekness of wisdom... When you show up to serve people and care for them and your decision-making matrix is all about God, today I just want to glorify you. God, there are people around me who are lost and dying. I want to help them. God, there are people in this church who are hurting right now. I want to serve them, right? God, will you help me do that? Help me make decisions in light of that. When you do that, it will form you into somebody different. Over time, you will be formed into a person who was pure, peaceable, open to reason, impartial, full of mercy and good works, and sincere. So the question you should ask for yourself is this. Are you becoming more selfish and more self-preoccupied as time goes on? Or are you becoming more humble and more selfless? Matter of fact, don't ask yourself. Ask your friends. Ask the people that know you best. Ask them, do you make, when, when I make decisions, when I process that decision uh, uh, with you, did we even talk about God? Or was it all about what benefits me? Hear me today, guys. We have a God in heaven who is able and willing to offer his wisdom, and it is there for the taking. May we have a church that is shaped by it. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, we love you, we thank you, we thank you that you are willing to give wisdom to those who ask it. And so, Father, I, man, I just pray, there will be a people who stop claiming to worship you and yet don't trust you enough to walk in your wisdom. It is so true that who, whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for the sake of the gospel will gain it. We think that in rejecting your wisdom that we are keeping our lives, but we're actually doing the opposite. So, Father, help us to give up. Help us to trust in you with all of our heart and lean into our, and not lean into our own understanding. Help us to trust in our lives to you and, and trust you to guide our paths. 
knowing that when we give our lives to you and we give our lives to the wisdom that comes from above, the result of it is not sorrow and pain. The result of that is the joy that our hearts are desperately looking for and we don't know how to get. You're willing to give it. So Father, help us. We repent of going our own way. Help us to trust in you. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.